Well, hello again. This is Jeff Bucknam, host and star of Conversations with Jeff Bucknam. Normally, actually, I'm the one who does some interviewing and things like that, but this week, and uh, these are kind of special episodes that we'll be talking through uh, some of the stuff that we're looking at on the weekend services regarding money in our series called On the Money. And so I'm inviting some different folks in so that we can have conversations. They have some questions uh, about the sermon, and we can dialogue back and forth and maybe look at some other passages of Scripture, hopefully to be able to help you out in 20, 30 minutes to ask and answer some frequently asked questions or difficult issues. So today I've got Carl Barco. He is the executive pastor of ministry development here at Harvest. Is that it? I got no. Okay, did I just it's make close. it up? You got the executive pastor part right, oh, okay. but it's of ministry it and doesn't even multiplication. Matter. The development Nobody piece. cares what your title is, Carl. It's true. Anyway, it's true. It's true. Carl was the campus pastor at North Shore Campus. He is currently uh, doing his Master of Divinity degree at uh, Moody. Moody Theological Seminary. Yep, and so he's super smart. And I don't know about that. Also has an interesting background. Done. Before we even get into this, you have an interesting background. I've interviewed you before, but just to refresh anybody's memory who didn't hear it, you have an interesting background. You are basically a banker. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. So like this this world of uh, finance and money and these sorts of things are things that you know quite a bit about and also have had your own personal experience with. Yeah. How so? Well, money used to hold a very special place in my heart. <laughs> Now the Lord fills that void. Yeah. So uh, praise God for that. So yeah, no, I, these types of scriptures, when it comes to uh, talking and teaching on the money, um, understanding the notion of contentment, understanding the lack of desire or the running from any type of desire that the accumulation of wealth would bring into you and the actions that come from that. Uh, very really in my life, I've had to fight through. Yeah. Um, and so I guard against those things. Just be on point with your message from this weekend. Yeah, it's There's interesting. Extra, extra some people, guarding. some people. I, well, uh, along that line, uh, when I when I study these passages, and I mean I preached um, some of these passages several times before, but I uh, I read I redo my study each time. Um, I'm always th- I'm always thrown off at how countercultural they are. Like the the beware yeah. of what money can do to you or the love of money can do to you and the desire for it or covetousness in this case or whatever. And most people in the West don't believe that. They, no, they, they read the movie Wall Street and they hear... Greed is good. Gordon Gecko, exactly. Greed is good. It's a driver, right? Greed and fear are the two big drivers in life. And yet you're a guy who's sitting here saying, nope, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. The more you want, the more you have, the more you want. Yeah. So if somebody says, well, how much do you want? Like, be, be careful when you ask that question uh, because the Lord's the idea of what you want versus what you can live with because he knows you better than you know yourself mm. might be an answer that you might not want <laughs> to get to, which actually gets to one of the more fearful components. The, I think it's one of the reasons that anxiousness comes up conjunct- conjunctively with this passage. Yeah. Right. So uh, this last weekend, we, uh, we talked about Luke 12. And uh, a passage that talks about the rich, the rich fool. Um, basically, it's a uh, guy comes up to Jesus and asks him to divide the inheritance. His his family, his older brother, is not giving him the right amount of money, and so this guy's concerned about it. And so he basically commands Jesus to give to to play the part of the judge. Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. 
But I am going to talk to you about the problem that's in your heart that's made you ask the question. And that's ultimately a love of money. So he tells a story about this rich fool who basically, instead of giving away his extra, he hoards it and then he dies. And it's not left for anybody. It's just, it, it, it does nothing but actually prove his own uh, wickedness. And then Jesus says that you should, don't be like him, basically, right? You should be rich toward God. And being rich toward God is being somebody who is generous and is willing to share what they uh, don't need. So take what you need and then leave the rest for those in need. And uh, like you said, he immediately jumps into a passage about like anxiety and and you know, don't be, don't worry about what you should eat or what you should wear. And he certainly talks about the the, the ravens and the lilies and all of those sorts of things. And basically tries to convince uh, his Jesus, his listeners, and Luke, his readers, that uh, God cares a lot about us more than he cares about the grass of the field. And yet he takes care of the grass in ways that the grass doesn't even notice. <laughs> So uh, similarly, he will take care of us. And so it does, the whole thing provokes the, the conclusion, which is at the end of the passage, um, says, uh, so sell your possessions and give to the poor uh, and, and basically make for yourselves treasures in heaven or invest in tre- treasures in heaven. So it's very provocative. It is. It is. And I, I think you and... I was with you at the North Shore. There were a lot of questions that came up Saturday night, and I'm sure a lot of pastors fielded a lot of questions about the practicality of how this passage manifests itself in us as Christians in the Christian life. All right, let's hit them. A lot of topics come up as a result of this. Okay, tell me some of the questions. Uh, Well, all right, let's start at the top in terms of guarding against greed. What is that? What are some practical things we Christians should do to put up? You used a bug defense. All right, so we're going through Costco and we're buying four things to protect against the mosquitoes. What are three or four things we can do in in our defense? So the crazy part about this passage is that the application is given to you. Yeah. Uh, Now listen, there are two statements. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now you have to understand he's not coming at that without a context. The sell your possessions is being given to somebody like a rich fool saying, look, you've gathered, let's assume you've gathered a whole lot and more than you actually need. He's trying to say, get rid of that stuff and give to the poor and commit yourself to being somebody who is really generous with those who, with those who don't have. And the, the poor can be the, you know, the, the people who hang out at the Salvation Army. It can also be people who just don't have what you have. Uh, they can be brothers and sisters in the church. In fact, probably that is in view here. There's brothers and sisters in the faith who are, are in need in some particular way. And so um, I would say that the way you defend against this is that you make it, uh, y- you make radical generosity. And I don't mean like amount. I mean radical generosity in the sense that everything that I own doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God and I've been given it to steward. And so anytime somebody wants to borrow it or whatever, I am asked, I, I'm, I'm here to actually help them. Yeah. I was just going to add one. I've tried to do that in my life. You asked earlier about my walk that way. And uh, one of the mindsets that you get is this thing is not the thing that I thought it was that was here for my happiness, but it's here for the benefit of others. Like the car so like, or the Yeah, house I was going to say a car the, or a house. Yeah. Like if you loan someone your car, which I've loaned people our car, one of our cars all the time, if it comes back with no gas or dirty, I care less about that. 
I'm happy that they got to use the car to get to their job, to take their kids somewhere. The old me, you know, would have been like livid. Yeah. You should return it. I mean, common decency. You should (laughs) return it full of gas and have it washed and blah, 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 blah. Which is a good idea. I mean, it's nice. But, but it's not required. Time, well, some of the people who are borrowing it don't have the money for the gas, so it's okay. Yeah, it's even okay. better. The, the greater the charity at that but point. But what if it gets ruined, Carl? Well, that's why I have insurance. <laughs> or then uh, I'll go make more money and buy another car. Yeah, and ultimately you, what you're doing in, in being generous with what you have and uh, with the money you make, uh, and by that, I mean give, giving it away, mm-hmm. honestly, to whether it's to the church or to a ministry somewhere or whatever, but giving it away, is you end up saying explicitly to God, uh, give me today my daily bread. Uh, right. I am putting myself in a position that if this thing gets ruined or whatever, you, you, Lord, are going to have to provide for it or not in the future. If you want me to be able to share like this, you're going to have to give me something like this to share. To share, yeah. yeah. And, and there's a great faith in horizontal faith too and my brother or sister who borrowed said car or moved into said house to care for it and to express themselves equally mm-hmm. towards god in the stewardship of the thing that they've been given because they didn't pay for it right we have an example i mean luke actually gives some positive examples uh later in the in the book mm-hmm. so we're we'll, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about zacchaeus and luke 19 is where he basically gives away half of what he has Right, and he 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 pays restitution to all the Zacchaeus, the this tax collector who's wronged a whole bunch of people, and he's like, "Well, I'm going to pay back four times to anybody I've wronged, and I'm going to give away half of my stuff." So for Luke, this is like, "Hey, that's how that's what I'm talking about. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. That, like that's what I'm talking about." This this is actually super hard to do. It's almost hard to be generous in our society because people rarely receive it. You and I went out to dinner. You paid for dinner that one time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no your did, pride got right in there, didn't oh, it, buddy? Man, did it never. And and you looked at me and you're like, just take the gift. And I'm like, yeah, you're yeah. right. Thank you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the type of thing that we, it's hard for us. So there's a learning on both sides. The guy who's being generous and the guy who's receiving the generosity to lower your pride. It's hard, but we have to try it. Like, so that's the guard. That's one of those big things where we guard against that. We practice it, practice generosity. We do it through giving money. But I think I'd say letting other people use possessions is also an awesome way to practice that. So uh, there are some examples, just practical stuff. In the book of Acts, you have uh, the early church meeting in the house of uh, wealthy women uh, who, which I mean, to to own land was a big deal. To own a house the size that could house the early church, that was a really big deal. But here are these people saying, "Nope, uh, you come meet my house. We have we have the we have what's necessary." Eventually, by the way, the church ended up moving out of those houses uh, because it just got too big. And at that point, those people who owned those houses uh, had to become the people who were going to really help to house the church. You know what I mean? By yeah. paying for buildings or that kind of thing. Um, in this passage in Luke eight. It's, it's great. Um, I'll just read it. Verses 1 to uh, 3. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Uh, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Cusa. Chusa. Uh, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others. And 
these women provided for them, uh, meaning Jesus and the disciples, out of their means. Which is a fascinating passage because what you've got is uh, a bunch of sugar mamas taking care of the the early disciples, which is awesome. And and but Luke makes a point of mentioning these dear ladies because that that's what it looks like to be somebody who is rich toward God, is caring for the, the, those who are doing ministry or those who are uh, sacrificing something um, for the sake of the kingdom or whatever. Um, Luke 18, this next week, we're going to be talking about with the rich ruler. At the end of the passage, you know, he, rich ruler walks away because he doesn't want to give up his money. At the end of the passage, Peter, Peter's like, but we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, oh, you, you'll receive back, you know, houses and sisters and brothers and parents and stuff in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. But the in this life, is it's it clearly... That language is a is a tie to the church. The idea is, hey, don't yeah. worry about everything you give up. The, the your brothers and sisters in Christ here. are going to be there to take care of you. Yep. Yeah, the community of it. But the assumption that's being made there is that those people who are brothers and sisters in Christ have the right attitude toward money. They have the Zacchaeus attitude toward money. They have the these these ladies, the sugar mama attitude toward money. They have the 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 people who house the early church attitude toward money. Barnabas, who sells his property and gives it to the apostles in, in Acts 4, that, that attitude toward money. So those are lots of examples. Those are great. Guarding against greed. I, the other thing is just the mindset. So those are practical. But that mindset, even the passage you read in, in 8, uh, they were there proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That was the thing that helped motivate your the sugar mamas to continue to propel the... It's horrible we're calling them that. I but know, you know terrible. what? I don't know what else to say. Well... I used your words. So. Yeah. But that is the thing. That's the heart motivator. That's the focus of the person who's showing generosity mm. is like, I care more about the next kingdom than the one I'm in. Exactly. So I invest from this kingdom towards the next. Exactly. Which is the end of the rich fool. That's right. That's the, that's the point is you got either, either you're going to invest in, in the kingdom to come or uh, you're going to invest in your own little kingdom now. And one will last forever and be massive the other one will be petty and fleeting. Okay. One other question that came up from this, so, uh, and we're because we're jumping from the beginning of the passage to the end of what you taught this weekend, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Uh, where's the, you've used the word dance before, where's the balance in um, the full enjoyment of the gifts that the Lord has given oh, yeah. you against the, si- the sale of yeah. things to giving? So this is one of the things that we need to be really cognizant of because there is a real move in the church now and for years gone by of what we call asceticism, the belief that the holy life is one lived apart from any physical goodies. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really not the take on in scripture. Uh, God made the physical world. He made it good. He actually has, uh, he has provided us everything, everything for our enjoyment says in the end of first uh, Timothy six. So, uh, there is an attitude that we ought to have that is uh, the same attitude that my kids have when I give them a gift at Christmas. The attitude is, oh my gosh, thank you, this is so great. And then I show, they show their appreciation by using that thing yep. frequently and well, sharing it, of course, it. but they, that they delight in it. Certainly they delight in it as a means of delighting in me, but it's not just delighting in me, it's delighting in in the thing itself. So look, this practically comes out to saying, look, if you have a motorcycle or a, a bicycle or a car that you, you just, 
you know, physically it brings joy to, to you and these sorts of things. Like God is smiling upon that. I think that there can be an attitude among some people to say, well, you don't need that bike or you don't need that car. Right. You don't need that, whatever. And, and my response to the need thing is that those, those decisions are things that need to be made between you and your God. Yeah. Um, what Carl Barco needs and what Jeff Bucknam needs might be different. It certainly is the case that if you live in the Western world, uh, it is quite likely you need a car. But if you live in some parts of Africa, South America, you don't need a car. It's just not, it's just not part of the, like if you're going to live in the suburbs of Chicago, the likelihood of you being able to get by without a, without a car is really, really difficult. So my, my point is the context in which you live and often the culture in which you live will determine sometimes the level of need. So it's more expensive to live in Vancouver, British Columbia than mm-hmm. it is to live in uh, everywhere else. <laughs> no, sorry. Oklahoma. But, but do you understand yeah. what, I, my mean, mm-hmm. what, what, I, what I mean? So some things that you're going to need in Vancouver, you're not going to need other places. So my, my fear with all of this teaching is that what it leads to is a kind of weird um, legalism yeah. so that I get to be the arbiter or the judge about what Carl needs. So I look down at Carl because Carl has whatever it is that you have. Right. And I say, well, you know, if I were, if it were you know, if Jesus doesn't like that, right. Carl, Carl should be a little bit more giving. And my response is, well, that's for Carl between him and his God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't need you to judge him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, y- your responsibility is between you and your God and mm-hmm. what what you're going to do and what you need as a family and others. And you make these decisions before God and you do them because you want to invest in his kingdom. And yeah. And and sometimes selling, there's that balance going back to the balance there. Sometimes selling the possession becomes the right thing. Once the thing for sure becomes an idol, it probably should be sold at that point. But if it's not ever been an idol, but, and it is a, in the form of gift where the gift is then, the pathway to more sharing. You have to have stuff in order to share stuff. Absolutely. And this is the thing is that if, if uh, the ladies, you know, who, who were providing yeah. for Jesus had sold all their stuff, have any share. then they wouldn't have anything to share right. with Jesus. If the, if the, if the lady who uh, is, has, has the church in her house had sold her house, she doesn't have. A, so the point is that it's not just the sale of stuff so that you have less. Although in the context there, the idea is you don't need as much as you probably knew. That's the kind That's of true. idea, right? The rich fool, he didn't, you don't need what you think. And giving to the poor should be a, a priority and should have been his priority. So those things need to remain in our, in our minds. We don't need all the stuff that we usually think. And we, the poor, the reason God's given it to us is so that we can be conduits of his grace, right? A river. Yeah. Um, it's a good image, by the way. But I totally lost my train of thought because what I had to say that you said it's a good image. It is and a good image. I kind of felt like kind of proud of myself. Oh, look there at for you. <laughs> oh, a little pride flowing in you. Flowing. See? see? Word. I see what you did. Did you see what I did there? No, but you're, you're moving on in, in the right direction because you said the rich fool. And, and the passage, even in its context, in verse 16, says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Mm. If it said the land of a poor man produced plentifully, we'd have a whole different parable. Yes. So he was already rich. Yeah. And this and is the, this is the, yeah, we're talking about the, the more, yeah. the more of what God's given yeah. you, right? Yeah. And that comes from sharing yeah. primarily. 
Yeah, and I think that people who have uh, a lot of things need to realize too that they've been again. We're gonna we're gonna actually study the parable of the talents at some point, and right. and it's a rec- it's a recognition that all the things that have been given to you, God has ordained that you have them for His kingdom's sake, for the sake of others, and that kind of thing. And I think that's that that really is one of the key ways, though, that we. Uh, we can demonstrate our love for God. It's not just the selling of everything. That's what kind of a point was a minute ago. Yep. There, there is a, um, you accuse me of not being spiritual enough, so I'll go down the road of being more spiritual than you might uh, expect. But when did I teach you that? <laughs> sometimes. I get that from Vanessa and Tim Dalrymple. Oh, the, 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 the worship people. The worship people. The worship people think spiritual. nobody else is as spiritual Spirit- as they are. They are. That's true. We don't, it, we don't close our eyes as well as they do. We love them though, right? Uh, and and love their leadership. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Man, see what happens. No, when next we get question. These Just go to the okay, next question. I'll go to the next question. I'll come back to that because okay. there's something in there, and I'm sure it'll rear itself up. Uh, okay, this this question came up, I think, a few times. Uh, the notion of retirement. In fact, we kind of opened with it. Oh, like, yeah. okay, what? Let's talk about retirement. Is there is that a biblical thing? Are are we not to be planning if the Give Listen, us this day our daily bread. What's the what's so the this balance this there? passage? One of the things that people you know we read the passage like look at the ravens they don't they don't sow or reap. Look, the lesson is not neither do you need to sow or reap. Yeah. <laughs> like don't farm. the The lesson is yeah no you you understand that the, God takes care of the ravens even though they don't do that stuff. So imagine for you, you do that stuff. God's God's gonna God takes right. care of you. You know what I mean? It's the lesson is not don't do anything. The lesson is not to, uh, yeah, avoid work or, you know, sit on your hands because God's just going to take care of it. Or similarly, uh, to not make any plans about your future, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider mm-hmm. its ways and be wise. This is mm-hmm. uh, Proverbs 6. Mm-hmm. All right. It, it works hard. Yeah. And, and yeah, right. That's a value in the scriptures. Uh, there, there is a section in the Thessalonian epistles where apparently some guys are just sort of sitting on their hands waiting for the return of Christ. And yep. Paul's like, all right, you don't want to work. You're not going to eat. So there is, there is this value in the new Testament and the scriptures in general about, about that kind of work and uh, the saving up and providing for, and even the providing for widows yep. in their, in their old age. And you need, in order to do that, you have to have, the means to do it. So I don't think this passage is saying, oh, don't save and don't uh, have a plan for retirement. I think it's saying, don't put your hope in your plan for retirement, if that makes sense. Like, yep. like the market's going to go up, the market's going to go down, and you're going to have what God intends for you to have. And be very careful in going way overboard with that. Like if you're saving up a whole bunch of money for retirement, what you're assuming is that Christ is not going to come back imminently. Right. Between and I, I just want to tell you, I don't think you, you and I should be holding on to massive amounts of money when the Lord Jesus returns. I, I, I think that, uh, I think that would be a bit of a waste. Yeah, you probably have to answer for that. I would imagine. Right. Why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you? Fill in, fix a need. Right, because the needs are now. Do you know what I mean? The needs are today. The needs are today. Yeah. And uh, we have a responsibility of addressing those needs today and in so doing saying, Lord, I'm going to try to meet these needs the best that I possibly can and I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide what's needed for for later. So the passage is guarding against uh, hoarding. How far does that go out generationally? Man, I don't know. 
right? Like planning for my kids. Yeah. I do my think grandkids that grandkids education. I do think that um, evangelical people in particular, this is, this can tends to be their like uh, get, get out of the difficulty of this passage clause. And oh, it yeah. is, it is, well, well it's not mine. but there's my yeah. kids, right? right? You know, I'm not, if I'm, I am providing it for somebody, but for my other, for my kids. And I'm like, okay, let, let's go to the extreme here. Bill Gates uh, ends up only, he's, he's only going to give a certain, per, I think it's 1% of his, of his uh, money as an inheritance to his kids hmm. because he doesn't want them to be ruined. I mean, he's a really rich guy. Of course, this 1% is going to be a lot of money. Still a lot of money. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're in the billions of category, yeah. but his, his point is that you don't need what he, what he has. And um, I think that's obviously like a uh, uh, an outlier, like the most exaggerated example. But I do think that there's kind of a principle in there saying, look, you should be putting yourself, I should be putting myself in a position in my life where uh, it means something to pray to the Lord to give us this day our daily bread. That, that I actually should, you're giving your commit and your savings should put you in a position where you actually have to trust the Lord to come through. So it's, I, I don't know where that is for everybody, but it's that there's a feeling of like, uh, if I, yep. do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And, and the word, the word stewardship gets thrown around probably, um, too much in that context of, well, I'm being a good steward with God, what God's given me, but they're using that we, I shouldn't say they, we, collectively, we, even the Christians, use that towards the, as a justification for investing in the, in the ones that I love, the, the mm-hmm. next generation in my family. When the reality is, based on this passage, the stewardship of those funds is to solve the need today yeah. and rely on the Lord to provide for tomorrow. Right. Yeah, right. Without making it a hard and fast situation that you should not, obviously, there are the passages of Scripture that talk highly about saving. Do you know, uh, there was... Um, I think it's John Wesley, uh, when he was asked a question about what the Bible says about money, he said, give all you can, save all you can. No, uh, make all you can, give all you can, save all you can. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Get it all. That's pretty all So, done. so yeah. his point is, it's not wrong to make it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saving it, but you should give all you can. True. And some people make, some people find it easier to make money. Yeah. Uh, it's just a thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the proverbial Midas touch. There are those that have it, and there are those that can't save their way out of a paper bag. Yeah. Right? But if we're both Christians aimed towards the same kingdom together, then there's the beauty of community to help each other get through that. That's right. Those that have to help those that... All right, running out of time. Themselves. What, what we else we got? Um, that, that's kind of... That's I think, it? No, we exhausted well, maybe, all okay. of your questions? No, we talked, about, we talked about insurance. Maybe you make a comment on that. One last one. That's oh. it. Like what, why, I mean, we spend money out of our monthly yep. paycheck to pay for an insurance yep. no, thing to guard against the future listen, catastrophe or acts of God. Okay. So let me, <laughs> well, let me, let me say that I, I think that God often will use the means of insurance to actually care. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's not like there's God, either God's going to do it, meaning it's going to happen like through this weird miraculous thing that money comes on a tree one day. Yep. Or you're going to trust in yourself for insurance. I'm, I'm actually saying, no, actually you can trust in God while getting insurance and saying, Lord, I, this is the responsible thing for me to do as a, as a human being in this world to take care of my family so that we don't go in some massive kind of financial like meltdown. Right. I do think though 
with that said, that you can like like with retirement, go too far. You well, you can end up insuring everything for right twenty million dollars or whatever it is, and you can think, well, I need to have insurance for every single thing about every single thing, and it's like, well, like overbuying life insurance. Yeah, that exactly that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, because you you believe that you believe that you need that much in order, which of course you know the salespeople are going to tell you that you need that much, yeah, because they want to sell you that yeah. much. I've been in those presentations. They say, well, for your wife to live comfortably in the way that you're providing for her now, you need this, and they yeah. run a model, and they say, and then you're like, well, cost of living increases, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and and then all of a sudden you're. You're, you're in the millions before you know it. You're insured for a lot of money. <laughs> you're worth more dead than alive. <laughs> no. So anyway, I, again, there's a, the, the point of these passages is not to provide you a law. Right. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's to provide you the right heart and attitude toward the things. And then you rest between you and your Lord about, balancing, hey, he's given me this money that we might enjoy things, and he's also given me this money because I'm responsible to, you know, double the master's money, to use the language of the, of the, yeah. of the uh, parable of the talents. So invest it vertically. Oh, look at you. Well, I'm bringing that. That sounds right. good. That's pretty cool. Vertical investment. Maybe there'll be a new thing at Harvest. Should we start it? I know it. You should start it. This has been fun. Thank this you very much, Carl. Very practical. Appreciate it very much. Look, we're going to be doing these once a week uh, for the next little while, and uh, hopefully, we'll cover all the questions and stuff. If you, if you have any questions, email me things that you can you can email Carl Barco at actually it's cbarco at harvestbiblechapel.org. B a r k o w. So it sounds like Barkow, which a lot of people call you. They do, but it's Barco. All right, I'm German. well. Cbark, it's been lovely talking to you. Hey, we'll talk to the rest of you guys later. Bye. Bye.